Welcome to ForeverFit.tv, your online source for fitness, nutrition, and lifestyle. With your host, Nicola Riley, personal trainer, nutrition, and lifestyle coach, here to help you get in the best shape of your life. Welcome to ForeverFit.tv. I'm Nicola Riley, your online personal trainer, nutrition, and lifestyle coach. Now, today on the show, we are taking this real health message to the animal world. I have got a fantastic guest on, Lisa Schneider. Now, she is a holistic vet based here in Tauranga, and she is incredible. I've been to her a few times with my wee Ellie. I say a few times because she put me on the right path, and now Ellie is a super happy, cheerful little wee dog. And if it wasn't for the help of her, I wouldn't have been able to get on top of her little wee digestive issues that she was dealing with at the time of being a puppy. So without any further ado, I'm going to head into this interview with Lisa. I hope you enjoy it. To find out more about her, head to holisticvets.co.nz. And if you have any questions about the show as well, Lisa will be more than happy to be able to help you out. She does consults all over the country she can do them on skype and online or over the phone and then of course if you're towering you can bring your wee puppy or cat into her and she would love to meet you and them as well and of course any other wee animal that you may have in your life so without any further ado we'll get on in to this interview do you lack time are you just too busy to exercise Do you struggle even to find the energy or the motivation to exercise? Then get ready to take your health to a new level in the comfort of your own living room. Fat-burning workouts as short as 8 minutes. Yoga routines to de-stress and sculpt and tones to help you create a lean, strong body. Learn how you can create real health and wellness with VIT nutrition and wellness advice in the online gym. Here you will find over 400 video workouts from yoga, tai chi, high-intensity interval training, golf and tones, mobility routines, extremes, and so much more. New workouts added weekly, along with cooking classes, menus, meal plans, webinars, and over 500 recipes to help you get in the best shape of your life. Sign up today at foreverfit.tv forward slash online dash gym. Hey, welcome to the show, Lisa. You are a holistic vet, and I first discovered you with my little wee Ellie, and I'm sure the listeners have seen Ellie in a few photos jumping into some videos, and I'd like to just send a huge welcome to you to the show, and why don't you start by just telling listeners a little bit about yourself and who you are. Thanks for having me, Nicola. This is a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I'm a holistic vet, and some people go, what is that? Holistic is just a hippie, but no, I'm not just a hippie. And in fact, I don't even know if I am just a hippie, but holistic means um, basically approaching health from a whole point of view. So not just simply treating symptoms and managing symptoms, but looking at what's the underlying cause and what can we do to sort that out. So I qualified as a vet in South Africa 14 years ago, and I love working with animals. And when I started to work in general practice, I got quite frustrated because a lot of the cases that I would see would just be um, things like arthritis or cancers or diabetes where we're just simply having to manage the symptoms and manage the symptoms. And I wanted to know more of what else can I do for my patients so that ideally they don't land up in the situation. And if they are in the situation, then what more can I do for them besides for just the traditional approach, which just accepts that. So I started to explore a whole range of therapies and learned a whole lot about nutrition. And I haven't looked back. Awesome. <laughs> Was there much out there on animal, like holistic animal nutrition? 
Um, there's a little bit. Overseas in the States, there's a heap of information out there. And in fact, there's often also a heap of misinformation. So one of the things that I work with my clients a lot is working out a good nutrition plan that's going to help fluff your fifi to restore their health and maintain their long-term health and well-being. And uh, one of the basic things that I stick to is that you just need to keep it simple. Nature knows best. And the more that you can stick to natural principles, generally that supports health and vitality incredibly well. Yeah, so I, my little Ellie, she, she taught me what she would like to eat and it all started when I got told initially that she should be on, um, oh, it would have been like Science Diet or it's one of those um, brands that are very common, the little pellets anyway, I can't quite remember the exact brand but it was the little pellets that you pick up and she pretty much just sniffed the bowl and walked away. But as soon as you put a bit of prime beef into her bowl or a bit of mince or a bit of, um, you know, raw fish or real real meat, she would devour all of that. And so I pretty – she was – yeah, she taught us what she would like to eat. And it tastes well. Yeah. So would you like to sort of um, talk about, you know, the difference between real food and the not-so-real food in the pet world? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll kind of want to look at why it's evolved in such a way that we depend so much on commercial foods. And commercial foods certainly have their place, and they're not to be dismissed, but wholesome natural goodness can deliver a whole lot more often for our patients. So many years ago when us humans lived off the land, we ate relatively wholesome natural food. And so the pets that lived with us, our cats and dogs, they either ate our scraps or the cats would hunt. And uh, the diseases that we're seeing a lot of these days, like allergies and cancers and arthritis and diabetes and some heart diseases, they weren't as common as they are these days. And back in those days, when us humans started to get lazy and we started to eat more modern processed foods, subsequently the scraps that we started to share with our dogs and cats were very heavily processed. So as vets, we used to see a lot of diseases like rickets where they actually develop skew bones because they have nutritional deficiencies where they're not getting enough specific nutrients and there's an incredible imbalance. So at that stage, vets got together with industry and um, they made foods into basically bagged up foods that have got all those nutrients measured and made sure that they're all in balance so that we no longer see much in the way of those diseases like rickets. But it's a trade-off because now there's all the other diseases that have come about. And um, when I was trained at vet school, we, science always helps you to quantify and, and um, that what you can measure in science is always important and useful. But it has disregarded wholesome natural goodness. And I'd also overlooked that because in my career as a vet, we have taught about science. But uh, when I first learned about feeding more natural food, I took some uh, raw meat home with some veggies for my dogs and gave it to them. And it, they could have believed it. They thought it was great because I'm a vegetarian and this was the first time they were getting some real meat. So they were so excited. And I couldn't believe it because within a couple of weeks, the one little boy, he was prone to skin issues. They started to resolve and the little girl was prone to flea issues and that stopped being too much of an issue. And learning from that, I adopted that with the patients that I see these days. And I set up my vet practice called Holistic Vets where we integrate complementary therapies with conventional medicine. And the first thing we do is go through nutrition with our patients. And it never ceases to amaze me how frequently when we change to a more wholesome natural diet that animal's health begins to improve in leaps and bounds and our clients think we're magic but all we're trying to do is just restore natural balance and the body's just so responsive yeah that's incredible um so when it comes to let's talk about dogs to start with so when it comes to like dogs 
do they need your proteins, your fats, and your carbohydrates? And how do you go about providing them with that? You know, I, a dog in the wild, you assume eats meat. And so how, how does that apply to a domestic cool. dog? Dogs are facultative carnivores, so while they ideally depend on meat to meet their energy needs, they can actually manage to digest a portion of carbohydrates. So uh, these days, a lot of the commercial foods, especially the cheaper ones, are bulked up with a lot of carbohydrates, like carbohydrates like grains and corn, and um, sometimes they're bulking agents because it's cheap, and sometimes it's used for flavoring and things like that. But uh, there are many dogs out there, especially those that have got ongoing skin issues or immune system disorders or allergies, that the carbohydrates really don't serve. And when you take away that portion of the food, then again, health is restored and they improve in leaps and bounds. So as you've referred to, what we're trying to do is sort of simulate what they'd be eating out in the wild. Out in the wild, they'd be eating primarily raw meat, raw bones. They'd be eating the gut content of their prey. And often with dogs, they'll graze on a little bit of grass or have a little bit of fruit or or, you know, whatever is lying around. So you can't disregard that aspect either in terms of providing them with the phytonutrients from veggies. So for our patients, we kind of make it a little bit more practical. And thankfully, there's some fabulous resources out there where our clients can get some good quality, wholesome raw meat. And that's important because raw meat can carry issues like uh, various bugs in there, hydatid cysts. So the meat should ideally be pre-frozen um, and from a reputable place. So it's not like just the cow that's being slaughtered because it's so, so sick and the meat is not good enough for human consumption, so they put it aside for animals. It should be meat that is ideally to the standard of human consumption. And uh, feeding the meat, you also want to make sure that there are bones in there as well. So while meat carries a lot of phosphorus, bones will have calcium magnesium. But with bones, it can be a double-edged sword because if the bones are cooked, they can shatter and splinter and get stuck. And with some dogs that are prone to gulping down their food, those bones can get stuck and they might not be easy to digest. And then you can land up with a whole lot of other health issues. So it's really important that it's done right. And it's really important that it's done in balance because if your doggy only eats meat, for example, and they're not getting any bone, then that can set them up for some types of diseases as well. So we find by feeding 50 to 70% good quality raw meat, like raw chicken, um, fish, lamb, Beef is okay, but often with the red meats, those can predispose animals to allergy type things, although not necessarily because some dogs have just specific issues with specific types of protein. So while fish and chicken is good for most dogs, there will be those individuals that are sensitive to those as well. And when it comes to the bones, raw chicken necks are generally quite safe, except for your very tiny dogs. In most dogs, even if they swallow those whole, they can digest them and it's not an issue. So with a bone thing, make sure they're either chicken necks that are small enough that if they swallow it, they can, they can be digested, or they're rather they're too big so that dogs can just chew on them and not swallow them in chunks. And then the other component is um, veggies. So with a meat, ideally we want it raw uh, or pre-frozen and raw, and that preserves the enzymes and nutrients in there. But with the veggies, you want to process to a degree. Because the dogs are facultative carnivores, their guts are not really adapted to be digesting much in the way of plant matter. So in their prey, it's pre-digested, where their prey is chewed it up and digested and swallowed it and it's mixed with saliva and all these digestive enzymes. So um, what you could do is grate up the vegetables or mash them up or steam them up or blenderize them up and then mix them in. And then, as I said before, some dogs do okay on carbohydrate, like, pasta, doggy muesli, um, whole grain bread. But for those that have got health issues, you're better off avoiding that. 
Okay, cool. And so how does it apply, like, um, ro like rotating your meat sources? So say you did find, um, you know, chicken and fish worked really well. How important is it then to make sure that you are mixing up your meat sources as well? As long as you're getting a variety of the whole meat in, it's not too much of a major. Also, organ meats are not something that should be dismissed either. About a fifth of the meat content, it's beneficial if that's organ meat. So that's liver, kidney, and heart. And um, for dogs, it doesn't matter too much. But especially in cats, they specifically need a nutrient called taurine. And taurine is found in high concentration in heart muscle. Um, with uh, liver and kidneys, that they can also be really nutritious, but with liver in particular, you've got to make sure that you don't overdo that one because that can cause issues too. It's very high in fat-soluble vitamins that too much of can contribute to health issues as well. Okay, cool. And um, how, So this is all applying to a dog. How is this going to change for a cat, for instance, or another I, small animal? No, well, let's just go with cat. That could get complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So getting a little bit smaller to a cat now. Dogs being facultative carnivores are different to cats that are strict carnivores. So cats depend primarily on meat to meet their energy needs. So for cats, we adjust that a little bit further by making the quantity of meat and raw bone and organ meat to be 90% of what they eat on a daily basis and 10% mashed up vegetable matter. So um, out in the wild, that's pretty much what they eat. They certainly don't do well on grains and carbohydrates. Uh, that, in my experience, predisposes them to diabetes, obesity, inflammatory bowel disease, skin allergies. And you'd be surprised out there when you look at a lot of the commercial foods, when you look at that ingredient list, unfortunately, one of the first things that is listed in so many of those foods is corn or grains or fillers. And uh, it's, it's, it's no wonder we're seeing a lot of health issues. So with cats, they can also be really fussy. And if you can't get them to eat the meat or you can't get them to eat it in balance with a little bit of the raw bone and veggies as well, then in those cases, a good quality commercial food can be much better for them overall. And in fact, that's the same thing with dogs too, although most dogs will convert a lot more easily than cats. Cool. And when it comes to humans, it's so much like I talk so much about gut health. Do you want to talk how you provide probiotics for cats and dogs? Yeah, absolutely. Now, probiotics, so basically they should be there naturally and uh, they will thrive when they're given the right nutrients as well. But in animals that are compromised, it can be very useful to supplement those probiotics. Um, and there are some commercial products available out there. There's one called Protexin Powder that we use and um, there's some others for herbivores as well. Uh, that, that can just help in, in, a, in a really good way. There's one that I've been introduced to recently called BioBrew for horses and cows, and they just did great on it. Um, you can also use a good quality acidophilus yogurt and make sure that it's sugar-free. It doesn't have as high a concentration of the beneficial bugs, but it should help to restore their gut flora to a degree. And also with a lot of our patients, aside from recommending a good foundation of nutrition with what we've discussed, supplementing with optimal amounts of omega-3 fatty acids and antioxidants can also make a huge difference to overall health. So not only does it help to support the good microbes in the gut, but the overall immunity and the ability of the body to digest its food and use those nutrients and to maintain optimal health is supported really well. And one big thing that um, I give Ellie is something is tripe, and that's just it stinks, and you never want to have a cuddle after you said that. But she just loves it, so that's oh, an important thing, isn't it? Yeah, really good for them. 
Yeah, do you want to explain what tripe is? <laughs> so tripe <laughs> is a real delicacy. It's the intestines of um, of an animal, and uh, yeah, dogs do absolutely love it. And it's very, very dense and a lot of good nutrients. It's very tasty to them. And often with whole tripe, you've got a little bit of the plant matter left in there as well. And uh, it stings to us, but hey, it's great for them. It's like doggy ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so now let's move on to some large animals because of, you know, my horse passion and my large Lucy that I have out up the road. How does things change for them? Okay, so with uh, grazing animals, they depend on the plant matter that they graze in order to support their health and well-being. Now, the grass that is grown or the plants that are grown, they, of course, have to get their nutrients from the soil in which they are grown. And a lot of our soil in New Zealand is deficient in various nutrients, especially if it's been over-farmed or overused. So um, basically getting right back to basics, the quality of the pasture and the quality of the nutrients that those animals will graze is directly dependent on the quality of the soil and the balance of the nutrients in the soil. So going to the lengths of making sure that the soil is balanced, and there's some companies that help with soil testing to help to see what is in there, what is deficient. And in fact, people who are really knowledgeable on the subject, they can actually help to understand a lot about what's going on with your pasture by just the type of plants and weeds that are growing in there. It's really, really, really interesting with plants, how they reflect what happens in the body as well. I'm not so clever with plants. Unfortunately, any plants that I try and grow just die, but learning about them is really fascinating. And when you have a soil that is unbalanced, it's more prone to having all sorts of weeds come up. Whereas when you've got a healthy, balanced soil, then really good quality pasture will come through and the right type of plants come through and that nourishes animals really, really beautifully. So with horses and cattle and um, goats and, and, and sheep, that their immune systems are supported really well. And this is such an important concept because what us humans do, especially when it comes to other grazing animals like cattle and sheep that we use in our food industry, we try and produce quantity as opposed to looking at the quality. So we intensify our farming. We put all of these animals in close confines, which they wouldn't really be and naturally we don't really allow them to roam as they would naturally so in those close confines unable to roam they're constantly eating the same pasture the soil gets unbalanced and then the subsequent pasture that comes up hasn't got high enough nutrients so the animals immune systems will suffer so they tend to get sick or have higher worm burdens and us humans get clever and go "Ooh, ooh they've got worms let's kill them so we drench them with a chemical thinking that we're solving the problem but that's not the case because we're not getting to the root of the problem and so we try and get rid of the parasites but their immune systems continue to weaken and get debilitated and they'll develop like a respiratory tract infection and go, ooh, ooh, let's treat with antibiotics or ooh, that's a disease that we can vaccinate against. And we keep in a vicious cycle, which is pretty unsustainable. So until we come back to a point of looking at quality and trying to restore those natural principles, we'll constantly be in a vicious cycle. And it's really interesting as well because with those grazing animals that we eat, cows or cattle that are fed on pasture have a higher concentration of omega-3 fatty acids in their meat than those cattle that are brought up without that opportunity to graze on good pasture. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because that's something that people never never really consider. They always sort of reach for their salmon or their fish for their omega-3s, but there's a massive difference in the omega-3s of happy cows. <laughs> 
It's so true, that quality of farming and respecting the animals. And uh, being a vegetarian, some people say to me, oh, you know, why are you a vegetarian? And some vegetarians, I suppose, get quite up in arms that you shouldn't eat animals and blah, blah, blah. And I'm a little bit kind of a bit more relaxed about it because for me, it just feels good for me to not eat animals. But it's different strokes for different folks. And I do believe that the natural cycle in nature and on this planet is that animals eat each other. And for humans to eat meat is not necessarily the end of the world. It's just different strokes for different folks. But if you are eating an animal, if you are eating a cow or a sheep or um, whatever else, it's really important to make sure that that animal has had a really good life because that means that the quality of the meat that you're eating will be that much better and will nourish you better too. Yeah, totally. Love that. So with regards to worming, let's talk. So when it comes to um, dogs and cats with worming, What's your recommendations for that, and can you do that with real food, or should they be wormed? Okay, so this you've got to look at it quite carefully because there are some worms that can be transferred from your dog and cat to us humans. So if you've got kids in the house and their hygiene isn't good, then fluffy or fifi having worms, being able to transmit that to the kids is a high-risk situation, and you want to avoid that. So you've got to look at it carefully. If there are no kids around and you're looking at the health and well-being of that animal as all that you've got to look at, we find that when animals are fed a wholesome, balanced, natural diet, they're much less prone to having parasite issues, both worms and fleas. It amazes me when we clean up the diet, the fleas tend to go away and not come back. Worm-wise, though, we assume as vets that all animals have a worm issue, and especially with a risk to kids and that type of thing, it's important to worm them with a conventional wormer every three months. So what we do for our patients is we try and work a little bit more individually. We weigh up the cost factors, the cost risk, cost-benefit cost ratio, and decide, uh, okay, there's not many kids around, fifty or fluffy, we can take a poop sample, we can send it off to the lab, we can find out, hey, are there actually worms in here that we need to provide a worming product for? And if there are, then we can go, all right, well, how high is that worm burden and how much impact is it having on fluffy and fifty? And then we can give the, our client the option of using either a conventional chemical wormer or there are more natural products on the market that tend to give us good results. There's various herbs that have got um, antiparasitic effect. There's some homeopathic preparations that sometimes work nicely in this thing like diatomaceous earth which are supposed to work to help to reduce a parasite infestation and by doing what we call the fecal egg count or checking out their poop sample we can make sure that it's working and if it's not then change tack but if there are kids in the house you've got to be a whole lot more serious and make absolutely sure that there's nothing going on there I love it, fluffy and fifi going to be where I was going to ask next is I take personally take um, bentonite clay so I was going to ask so uh, another thing you can give them would be does garlic help with the um, worms Garlic's amazing antimicrobial. It helps immune system issues tremendously. It can be toxic to dogs and cats, though, so it's important to get the dose right. One medium-sized clove per 25 kilogram of dog is fine, and yes, it can help to reduce the worm burden. Again, the question is how much, and that's going to depend on the individual's health, so it's difficult to go, hey, Fluffy's got worms, give him some garlic and he'll be right. Uh, we don't know for certain that he'll be right, so it's important to monitor carefully. Okay, I'm just saying 25 kg dog, that's not my dog. <laughs> so when it comes to like clay, so um, you said Demacious Earth, so um, do you want to explain the power that that has putting in their food? 
Yeah, diatomaceous earth is a fossil flower. And um, when it comes to putting it on their food, it's got some minerals in there that are beneficial to health, apparently. And theoretically, it's quite a sharp little molecule and when it goes down through the gut it's supposed to cause damage to the worms and uh, I, I haven't had the opportunity to investigate and validate scientifically that it works for certain but certainly it's harmless to animals and I've had a few of my clients come back with feedback that it seems to work quite nicely certainly with the diatomaceous earth we have seen it kill the fleas which is awesome because it basically sticks to the exoskeleton or the outside of the fleas and it sucks the water out of them and they just generally keel over and die and with diatomaceous earth it's it's pretty much harmless you've just got to make sure that you don't inhale a puff of it um inhaled with too much over a long period of time it can, can cause damage to the lungs but otherwise it's really safe cool and i've also been having a wee nosy at um feeding kombucha to animals i haven't quite done it yet but i've just been looking at it do you know much about that well, I, I had the opportunity to taste some, and well, I'm not so tough, but I didn't think it was all that awesome. <laughs> but the health benefits are fantastic, apparently. So, yeah, I guess uh, the similar principles would apply to animals, and no, I haven't really had the opportunity to use it much. And the nice thing with animals, though, with dogs and cats and horses, they're so responsive to basic therapies. With us humans, it, it's just hard work to get our systems right if they've been abused for so long with you poor nutrition, but with dogs and cats and horses, within two weeks of changing to a more wholesome food, of just the basics of what we've discussed and a good quality antioxidant and omega-3 fatty acid, within a couple of weeks their health improves in leaps and bounds and very few patients need a lot more intensive care after that. Yeah, that's cool. So let's talk, come back to horses. Um, how do... So say a horse, can, can how can you provide more probiotics for a horse? Oh, for lovely Lucy. <laughs> yeah. No, well, it's actually, I've actually got a friend who's got a horse who she thinks got digestive issues. Lucy's actually fantastic. So I'm, I'm just, I've sort of, I've been looking into kombucha and things like that. I'm just, I, yeah, I'm just not sure. To be honest, I'm not 100% about kombucha and horses. Um, basically, getting their diet right, making sure the pasture is good is good. But there's some fabulous supplements out there specifically for horses that have been um, evolved and uh, created. And, and the results are fabulous. In veterinary practice, we've got our specific probiotic called Protexin, which works really, really, really well. And um, as I mentioned before, there's this new product in the market that's based on bio-brew for cattle. And now there's going to be an equi-brew that's got really good probiotics, and that's New Zealand made. Cool. Yeah. That sounds awesome. And um, oh, what was the other thing? Uh, completely forgot now. Um, I was gonna go. Oh, yogurt. I've heard. I've had um, another horse <laughs> got fed. Yeah. Um, this is a vet. To, um, got them to give it yogurt because it did have digestive problems, and I was quite surprised with um, giving dairy to a horse. Yeah, it's interesting because with the yogurt, although it's a dairy product, with the process that it goes through to become yogurt, it seems to have much less of an effect on animals generally. But uh, yeah, I don't think you'd find that that's a, a common practice out there, but the basic principles of helping to provide the microbes that sustain long-term health of the gut would should help to make a difference. Yeah, like she said, it was awesome. So I was, I was just quite surprised by that. And that's all I wanted to yeah. ask you about it. Yeah, um, me yeah, too. So do you have any sort of, um, like like you've mentioned your omega-3s, you've mentioned 
um, that, like the student types of foods, what other sort of minerals and vitamins should people sort of be looking for? Let's talk small animals again. <laughs> yeah, so um, by and large, a good quality multivitamin and omega-3 fatty acid that's an all-in-one is fantastic. The tricky thing with our dogs, and especially cats, is palatability and compliance. Fifi and Fluffy will routinely turn their noses up at various things, and then it makes it really tricky. Yeah. <laughs> There's one particularly good product on the market where uh, compliance is easy because palatability is generally well accepted by our furry friends, and that one's called Mybo. It's produced by a company in Wanganui, and they've done trials with Massey University to show the efficacy of the product and how beautifully it helps to support health. Cool. I think I have seen that, yeah. Yeah, there's also a lot of our clients who end up using their human supplements for their dogs or cats, and while for a lot of supplements that's appropriate and okay, it's really important to just check it by your vet to make sure that there's nothing toxic in those products or that you're not overdoing the dose or that there is any overlap. Yeah, and when it comes to um, your omega-3s, omega-6s, a lot of, for for animals, it's often flax seeds that you see is available in the stores, so... Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, flaxseed oil's got remarkable um, properties in terms of helping to support health. Those omega-3s are just fabulous as natural anti-inflammatories. They help to give the skin and coat an extra barrier of protection. They help with uh, the sort of behavioral type issues and anxiety issues. And I take it too. It gives me a shiny coat. (laughs) (laughs) But um, with flax oil, it's got omega-3s in there that still have to be processed in the body of of dogs and cats into another type of omega-3 before it becomes therapeutic and useful. So in animals that have compromised immune systems and in cats, theoretically, they're unable to transform those omega-3s in the flax oil to those that are beneficial and useful. But having said that, many of our patients seem to disagree with the science because they take their flax oil and their health improves, their coats improve, and it amazes me how many cats who are so damn fussy. If you put some flax oil in front of them, they'll lap it up and they benefit from it. Um, in, in cases where you have got compromised animals and theoretically for your cats, your fish oils are better, but it's very important to make sure that your fish oil is of high quality and that it's processed very gently because one of the downsides of omega-3 fatty acids is they're very easily damaged by excessive heat, air, and light. So a lot of products out there are produced, but their quality might be really poor. And in fact, in some cases, the flax oil that you feed your animal might be so damaged from the exposure to heat, air, and light that you're actually giving your animal something toxic as opposed to something that's therapeutic. So, yeah, with the fish oils, make sure that they process nicely and gently. The company that makes them is reputable. And also that it's free of heavy metals because that's another downside of your fish oils. And they're not often – you don't often see fish oils for sale in a pet store, do you? No, you don't. There's a couple on the market at the moment that are just coming out, but um, again, a lot of our clients will use human fish oil as long as it's a good quality product and we get the dose right, and we're quite supportive of that. Yeah, Ellie loves the um, a cod liver oil that I eat. It's probably it's... another smelly food she likes to eat. <laughs> She's such a good patient. <laughs> Hey, so let's just finish off. What would be some words of wisdom that you'd like to share to pet owners out there just to finish off? So take home message. Okay, well, 
taking responsibility for the health of your animal and being empowered with some basic knowledge about how to look after it and keep it in good health is really, really hugely beneficial. And it's very easy to get caught up in the misinformation that is out there, but keeping to the basics, keeping it simple and using natural principles can help to enhance the health and well-being of your pet infinitely. But do make sure that it's done with some veterinary input and do make sure you're getting the right information. Um, and if, if you need some resources, have a look at our website www.holisticvets.co.nz Awesome. And can people get in touch with you? I'm sure you'd do Skype consults like this, would you? Yeah, we do find consults for people across the country or email consults and sometimes for people across the world. So, yep, um, again, all the contact details will be on that website too. Because there wouldn't be too many of you around, are there? No, we're the first of our kind in New Zealand, um, completely integrating conventional and uh, complementary therapies. But thankfully, it's a growing trend and there's a lot more vets out there that are practicing complementary therapies of various sorts, whether it's uh, acupuncture or herbal medicine or homeopathy. Um, it's happening, slowly but surely. Yeah, it's fantastic. Hey, well, thank you so much. So people can find you at holisticvets.co.nz. And... Listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you've got absolutely any questions at all for Lisa, please must make sure that you send the, email them in and I will make sure that she gets them. The materials and content in this podcast are there to educate and to inform. There's no substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. Instead, I encourage you to discuss your options with your healthcare provider who knows your condition and your health history. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience and conclusions. Nicola Riley encourages you to make your own healthcare decisions based on your research and in partnership with your qualified healthcare professional.